welcome to Badge of Honor Family Ministries and Presentations. Today I'd like to show you how God transformed my marriage. But before I do that, I know that there may be some of you that are out there listening that has gone through a rough patch in their marriage. Or maybe you've had a marriage that has ended in divorce. My prayer isn't to make anyone feel bad, but that God might use this message to help equip you for down the road um, if you ever get into another relationship or consider getting married again. I believe we have a God full of grace and mercy and he can restore and heal any wounded house out there, hearts out there. Everyone agree? Great. I'd like to give you a snapshot of my family while I was growing up. Of course, I had my mom, Joanne, and my dad, Harry. Plus, I had six siblings. Now, my first sibling, Sandy, she was stillborn. My second sibling was my sister, Kathy. Thirteen months later, my twin sister and I were born. Randy and Candy, isn't that cute? And no, we're not identical twins. I get asked that a lot. Eleven months after his twins, uh, my younger brother, Larry, was born. And as you can see, there were about four of us that were born within three years. Then there was the caboose of the family, and that's my little sister, Penny, born three years later. Have you noticed anything uh, similar about all of our names? Yeah, they all ended Y. Sandy, Kathy, Randy, Candy, Larry, Penny, and my dad, Harry. I'm not sure where my mom, Joanne, fits in. Not only uh, do we have do our names end in Y, but listen to our middle names. Kathy Joe, Randy Ray, Candy K, Larry Dean, and Penny Jean. Isn't that special? I'm not sure what my mom and dad were on, but it sure wasn't good. Now, I came from a really small school, so that meant the badge kids pretty much dominated high school for a number of years. Sometimes there would be four badges in band at the same time. Usually there'd be three or four of us involved in almost every sporting activity uh, and extracurricular act event. Uh, my mom and dad would be at almost every event that we were part of, and many of the people in our community thought that we were the perfect family. Now, packing up to my elementary years, I can remember my mom and dad showing affection to each other from time to time. You know, I'd catch them snuggling on the couch while taking a nap or maybe even sneaking a little kiss here and there. Do you know as a young child how that made me feel? Like any other child, it gave me a sense of love, safety, and security. During my middle school years, it didn't really seem like that was happening as much. I rarely remember seeing my mom and dad ever cuddling, hugging, kissing, or even talking to each other for that matter. Now, how does that make a child feel? That love, safety, and security, it slowly disappeared. I thought, this must be the way it is when married people get older. But I didn't realize at the time was that my mom and dad's relationship was slowly drifting apart. Their marriage had grown cold, stale, and stagnant. To me, it became part of my normal, and I tried not to think or worry about it too much. After graduating from college, I got my first job teaching at Tri-County High School, and that's where I met the love of my life, Lori Lynn Bergstrom. I was coaching the JV basketball team at the time, and we had an away game with our arch rivals, Morley Stanwood. Now, we were both battling for the league championship. We ran through our warm-ups and the JV game got started. There were only a handful of fans in the stands but, uh, from both schools and the game started out as a real snooze fest. 
<sighs> well, we fell behind by 20 points in that first quarter, 27 to 7. Boring. It was so bad that I was embarrassed to even say that I was the coach. We had somehow cut the lead to 14 points by the time we went into the locker room at halftime. By the end of the third quarter, we had cut the lead down to seven points. The game went from a real sleeper to becoming a real barn burner and going into that fourth quarter. Tri-County and Morley Stanwood fans were starting to stream into the gymnasium because the varsity game was coming up next. The game was getting really tight and the crowd was really starting come, to come alive. During the fourth quarter, there was a turnover and the refs blew their whistle to indicate a dead ball. Now the Viking faithful in the attendance let me know that the scoreboard clock was still ticking time off. I turned and yelled at the scorekeeper to get his attention. Randy, stop the clock. I knew the timekeeper Randy, but only as an acquaintance. He had been an elementary teacher at Morley Stanwood and I had seen him at other league events from time to time. But when I yelled at him, something from behind him caught my eye. There were these three foxes sitting behind him in the stands. You're probably wondering, a fox? You mean the animal with a long nose, beady eyes, a pointy ears, and a long bushy tail? No. This was back in the late 70s and early 80s, and in those days, a cute girl was considered a fox. These days, you'd probably say that she was hot or something. I don't know. Anyway, of the three, I especially noticed the beautiful blonde fox. Believe me, it was love at first sight. Of course, I had to stay focused on the big game and not get distracted. The game was tight, but I couldn't help noticing the beautiful blonde behind the scorekeeper's table. But I'm the coach and all. I had to be an example to my players to keep focused on the big game in front of me. It was coming down to the wire. Focus, Randy, focus. Every time we hit a bucket to cut and lead, the Tri-County fans exploded. Every time Morley Stanton hit a bucket, their fans thundered their approval. We were nearing the end of the game. We had cut the lead to only one point with only a few seconds left of the game. One of my best players got the basketball right under the basket for a shot to win the game. He shot the ball, hung on the rim, and fell off. We got the rebound, rebound and got another shot and missed. With two seconds left, we got the rebound for one last shot. The ball hung on the rim. It teetered. The buzzer went off. Bonk! And the ball fell off. I couldn't believe it. We had battled so hard to lose by one lousy, stinking point. And to our rivals, ah! Victory so close I could taste it. We snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. The varsity game followed, but I just couldn't get my mind off the game that we had just lost. And of course, the fox sitting behind the scorer's table. After the varsity game had ended, everyone headed for the exits, except the three girls. They were still sitting in the bleachers, uh, now talking to the scorekeeper, Randy. You know, the no-good scorekeeper who lost the game for us. Of course, my players were always looking out for me since I was single, and they spotted these girls right away. They went over to them and found out their names and ages. Of course, they didn't get any coaching from me. Now my players yelled out their names and said, the blonde's name is Lori and she's 19 years old. I was really embarrassed, but I was really thankful also that my boys were looking out for me. 
After the game went home, I had pretty much put Lori out of my mind. I'd figure I'd never see her again. But later that week, I got a call at school. Guess who it was? I couldn't believe it. It was no good Randy, the scorekeeper. He wanted to know if I would be interested in coming to Stanwood and play cards with the three girls who were at the game. I said, is the sky blue? Is water wet? Is the Pope Catholic? Of course, I'll come and play cards with you and those three beautiful, fo beautiful foxes. I, I, I mean girls. Notice how quickly I forgave no good Randy for losing the game for me. He warned me though that the blonde was his. I was a little disappointed about that, but there weren't many chances to meet single girls my age in Howard City, so I took him, took him up on the offer. I met with Randy and the girls at a house that the girls were renting. They were going to uh, the local college at the time, uh, college coeds. Lucky me, huh? Now we played cards, and guess what? The blonde, Lori, and I, we really hit it off. Sorry, Randy. Actually, Randy and I became really good friends after that, and he became my roommate while I lived in Howard City. Lorraine and I, and I started to date the rest of the school year and throughout the summer. I proposed to her that following Christmas, and we made plans to get married that June. Lori was from the Upper Peninsula in Michigan, so we ended up getting married in, uh, in Bark River, which is a teeny tiny town uh, on US 2, about 15 miles west of Escanaba in the, in the UP. I don't know if any of you remember the Youpers back in the 1990s, but they sang a uh, song called Escanaba Girls, which was a remake of California Girls by the Beach Boys. It went something like this. I wish they all could be Cal, not California, Escanaba Girls. Well, I call Lori my Escanaba Girl. We got married on June 7th, 1980. Randy and the other two girls who were at the basketball game that, that night were all in the wedding. I did have to kick Randy out as my roommate though, now that I had a new one. Sorry again, Randy. A couple years later, my youngest sister graduated from high school and was leaving the house. My dad told me he had something really important that he had to talk to me about. He told me that, uh, my mom and him had decided to get a divorce, that they had waited until the nest was empty before going through with it. In, in my mind, I thought, what? You've got to be kidding me. At that point, Lori and I had been married just for a couple of years. My mom and dad had been, made for, been, had been ma married for 33 years and had six kill, kids, and now they come to the realization that they didn't love each other anymore? I'm sorry, I just, I just didn't get it. During the divorce, my dad went off the deep end. I, I won't share any of the horror stories, but it wasn't pretty and it was hard on everyone. I thought to myself, divorce, what a mess. Nine years after my parents divorced, Lori and I were both quite involved in our teaching careers. I was busy coaching basketball and Lori was concentrating in raising our two daughters. About the same time, Lori had become good friends uh, with our neighbor, Christy. Christy was telling Lori about this marriage conference that she and her husband, Dean, had attended in Grand Rapids, Michigan, at the Amway Grand Plaza called The Weekend to Remember Through Family Life. Now, Christy just raved about it, told, told Lori that we should go sometime. 
When I came home later that day, Lori told me all about it and said that she wanted us to go to the next one. Well, I told her to find the date uh, for the next one and we could check our schedules to see if it'd work. I'll be very honest though, I thought our marriage was doing just fine. Why did we need to spend a lot of money and waste an entire weekend going to a stupid marriage conference when our marriage was doing okay? I was hoping there was some way we could get out of it. Lori found a date and uh, found the date and I checked my calendar. Oh, suffering, succotash. I have a basketball clinic that I was running on that very same weekend. So I told her, sorry, but we can't go. Let me tell you, Lori didn't take no lightly. She was pretty adamant that she wanted us to attend. She told me to find someone to take my place to run the basketball clinic. So I ended up with a drug problem. Yeah, I found someone to take my place and Lori drugged me to the marriage conference reluctantly. Let me tell you, have you ever had uh, one of those two by four experiences where it seems like God uses something to hit you upside the head to get your attention? He hit me upside the head at that conference to get my attention about my marriage and I am so grateful that we went. All the couples in attendance were given a manual with the schedule, topics, and notes that were being covered and places to take notes. I remember that very first night, the conference speakers were talking about the topic of oneness in marriage. I'd never heard of it before. The Bible says that when a couple gets married, they are to leave their mother and father and cleave to each other, and that the two shall become one. I remember on our wedding day, we were going to light the unity candle. All of you know what that is? It's a symbol of how the two become one when married. You have two smaller lit candles on the side of a bigger unlit candle in the middle. And during the wedding ceremony, the couples are to take their two lit candles and light the middle candle and then blow out the two little candles to symbolize how the two lights have now become one or the two lives have now become one. Well, I wasn't a Christian when I got married, and I guess I thought I knew more than God and the pastor. I told the pastor that we'd keep the two smaller candles lit after lighting the big one to represent that we're still individuals doing our own thing. Guess what? The pastor agreed with me. Well, the speakers of the conference said that in order to have two become one or oneness, you need to give up your rights to do what you want and be a servant to your spouse. They said that becoming one doesn't just happen automatically, that you have to be intentional in your oneness, that we are born selfish and sinful, always wandering our own way, which naturally leads to isolation, not oneness. So in order to move toward each other or oneness, we need to be intentional in giving up our wants, our needs, and our desires for the sake of our spouse. My candle philosophy obviously was flawed. My, my plan would lead to isolation, not oneness. I'm not sure why the pastor agreed to let me do it my way. Now the conference speakers also talked about the five threats to oneness. Threat number one was how difficult adjustments in marriage can threaten, us, threaten oneness. Things like contrasting backgrounds, selfish motivations, and differing expectations can lead to isolation if adjustments aren't made. 
Thread number two said that couples entering marriage equipped with the world's plan would find their oneness threatened. The world's plan is based on a 50-50 performance of you itch my back, then I'll itch yours, which is destined to failure and isolation, not oneness. Threat number three to oneness is failing to anticipate selfishness in your marriage. Our natural tendency is to be self-centered and this is destructive to relationships. We marry with stars in our eyes and we don't always see this reality. Thread number four to oneness is failure to work through the inevitable, inevitable difficulties and trials. There is a failure to anticipate difficulties in marriage and a failure to respond to them correctly. I love the verse, James 1, 2 through 4. It's one of my life verses, and it says, Consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's kind of like an oyster when an irritating object like a piece of sand gets under the shell. That irritation is stopped by encrusting and smoothing it with a pearly formation. Every irritation that gets into our lives today is an opportunity to create a pearl in our marriage. The more irritations that the devil flings at us, the more pearls we can create. We need to welcome our trials in our marriage and cover them with love and forgiveness and the irritation will be smoothed out as the pearl comes into being. A true pearl is simply victory over irritation. Now threat number five to oneness is extramarital affairs. It's an escape from anything outside of the marriage. Now this could be an extramarital love affair, but it could also be a career affair or materialism affair. Um, it could be activities affair uh, or just plain old apathy affair. Those in ministry need to be careful of having a ministry affair. In my manual, there was a, this cartoon graphic of a husband in the living room watching TV, holding a remote with his back to his wife in the kitchen, making dinner with her back to him. Between the two of them was an outline of a huge, in, invisible brick wall. They had unknowingly built it brick by brick over the years by not dealing with the threats to oneness in their marriage. When I saw that cartoon in my menu, I told Lori, that's my mom and dad. Looking back, I could see that they had built this huge wall between the two of them brick by brick, year after year, by not dealing with the threats in their marriage. Remember I told you that my first sister was stillborn? I found out later there was a lot of unforgiveness and unresolved bitterness and resentment from her death. My mom went to the hospital alone to give birth. She says my dad was out fishing. He says he was at work. It sounded like they never forgave each other for it. Over time, with more disappointments and discouragements that came up during their marriage, they built this vast, impregnable wall between the two of them. Their marriage slowly fizzled and died as I wondered, could that ever happen to me? At the conference, they also uh, told us about the five phases to marriage deterioration. Phase number one, 
uh, starts as a romantic phase. A new life together is exciting. Oneness and happiness are the goals in the relationship, but the people have no plan to achieve it. Phase number two is the honeymoon phase. Life is good. There are twinges of disappointment, but they are quickly ignored and smoothed over. Phase number three is the reality phase. And I think that's where Lori and I were at the time of this conference. The relationship begins to take on a new dimension with careers, children, finances, in-laws, and the trials of life. The struggle to change each other starts to set in. Disappointment, dis discouragement can dominate the relationship. Phase four is the retaliation phase. Unresolved resentment and bitterness begin to take their toll. I think this is where my mom and dad was at after their first uh, child died. The man may pour into his career or interests outside of the home. And that's what my dad did. The mom might pour her life into her children or seek a new career or purpose. And that's what my mom did. The view of marriage has gone from focus on each other to focus on my wants and my needs. Unknowingly, a wall is being built between the two of them as despair and isolation sets in. Phase five is the rejection phase. The life in the marriage is all begun and leads to its death. There could be an emotional separation or withdrawal between the two of them as a wall is being built, which could lead to a physical separation or divorce. In the case of my mom and dad, I watched them slowly go through an emotional, emotional separation for years, or what some people call a silent divorce, which eventually led, led to a physical separation or the actual divorce after the nest was empty. Like I had said, I felt like our marriage was doing fine over the first 11 years, but unknowingly, it had grown stale. We were both pursuing our careers and caring for our girls, but we had lost sight of each other. I realized at that moment during the conference that Lori and I were on the same path as my mom and dad. I also realized that I had to make a change or who knows where our marriage was heading. I put a stake in the sand that day to be more intentional in my oneness. I'm not sure if I had gone to that conference that weekend that I'd be here today celebrating 40 years of marriage. As Christ followers, God wants our marriages to thrive, not just survive. During the conference, we had to do three action points uh, that, that we had to work on with our spouses to build oneness. The second action point was to write a love letter to each other. I thought, I got this. Not a problem on this one. That first summer when we were dating, I'd write Lori a love letter all the time when she was in the UP. We wrote our love letters for the action point, went to our uh, hotel room to read them privately to each other. I told her I'd go first. I started to open my mouth to read, but not, nothing came out. Lori said, are you okay? All of a sudden, I just started sobbing, bawling like a big baby. I realized right then and there that something wasn't right. Lori said, that's okay. You don't need to read it to me. I know it's hard. I told her, yes, I do. It shouldn't be hard. It should be easy. I used to write love letters to you all the time when we were dating. I took a few minutes to regroup and started to read my love letter, blubbering like a big baby the whole time. Lori then read hers through many tears. 
we both came to the realization that we had said words like those uh, to each other in a long, long time. It was like an enormous weight came off from both of us. And let me tell you, it was a defining moment in our marriage. After that weekend, Lori and I realized that we needed to do this again on a regular basis to keep our marriage tuned up and not let it go stale. Since then, we've gone to, believe it or not, 10 marriages, marriage conferences. I know, a little overkill, right? Uh, we've also led 15 Family Life Art of Marriage workshops at a number of churches and camps. When we do the Art of Marriage workshops, we tell the attendees that we don't do it just for them, but we also do it for us as a reminder to not let our marriage grow stale or go into autopilot. You know, our marriages can be a lot like driving home from work every day. I remember driving home from school that I taught at um, to, and then driving home for many years. It was like a 20 minute drive. Sometimes it seemed like I'd go into autopilot. I'd be listening to the radio or just enjoying the silence. And before I knew it, I was home. I didn't even remember driving through certain towns or stopping at the stoplight in our town. I know that's a little scary, right? I found out that there's a term for it. It's called highway hypnosis. You can actually turn the wheel, accelerate, decelerate, all the while in a semi-conscious state of mind. But listen to me, the same thing can happen in our marriages. We can go through all the twists and turns of married life, a peck on the cheek before we go to work, come home, say hi to the kids, watch the news, have dinner, pay the bills, get ready for bed, and start all over again the next day. This is what I'd call marriage hypnosis, and it's easy to fall into. So here's my point. I'd like to encourage all of you who are listening today, who are married or someday might be married, or for all, all of those uh, who have family and friends who are married, to not let your marriage go into autopilot and get a tune-up from time to time. It could be a weekend conference like we did, a workshop like The Art of Marriage, or maybe a date night, just to keep your marriage running smoothly and purring like a kitten. We all need to do something so we don't fall into marriage hypnosis. How many of you like to take your car in to get the oil change and keep it tuned up uh, every three to 5,000 miles? I do. Now, why won't we uh, get our marriages tuned up from time to time also? Okay, I'd like to close with a poem. It's called Laughter in the Walls by Bob Benson. It's a poem about a husband and a wife who raised their kids and now the nest is empty. It's obvious that they finished well together in oneness. I passed a lot of house on my way home, some pretty, some expensive, some inviting. But my heart always skips a beat when I turn down the road and see my house nestled against the hill. I guess I'm especially proud of the house and the way it looks because I drew the plans myself. It started out large enough for all of us. I even had a study. Two, two teenage boys now reside in there. And it had a guest room. My girls and nine dolls are permanent guests. It had a small room Peg had hoped would be her sewing room. The two boys swinging on the Dutch doors have claimed this room as their own. So it really doesn't look right now if I'm much of an architect, but, for, but it will get larger again. One by one, they will go to work, college, to service to their own houses. 
And then there will be room, a guest room, a study, a sewing room for just the two of us. But it won't be empty. Every corner, every room, every nick in the coffee table will be crowded with memories. Memories of picnics, parties, Christmases, bedside vigils, summers, fires, winters, going barefoot, leaving for vacation, cats, dogs, conversations, black eyes, graduations, first dates, ball games, arguments, washing dishes, bicycles, dogs, boat rides, getting home from vacations, meals, rabbits, and a thousand other things that will fill the lives of those who would raise five kids. And Peg and I will sit quietly by the fire and listen to the laughter in the walls. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to bless these families, and I pray that my words were inspired by you. I pray that you would bring comfort to anyone in a tough spot in their marriage or has been gone and have gone through maybe a tough marriage or maybe even divorce. Let them feel your love, your warmth, your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, your comfort, and your peace. Help our marriages to represent our relationship between the, the Christ, the groom, and his bride, the church. As Ephesians 5:25 says, Husbands, to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Lord, help us men to give up our lives for our wives as Christ gave up his life for us. And wives, Ephesians 5:33 says that, that you are to show respect to your husbands. Lord, we know that when wives show respect, husbands are more likely to show love. And when husbands are more likely to show love, then wives are more likely to show respect. And this incredible cycle of love and respect in our marriages goes on and on. Protect it, Lord. Lord, we come against anything that would try to break this cycle. Please help those who are married to be continually intentional in their oneness. Take away any selfishness and help us to be servants like you and to serve our spouses. Tear down any walls that have been built up over the years through unresolved conflict, unforgiveness, and resentment. Help us to have the courage to address the conflict in our marriages with Christ's love, grace, and mercy. Lord, I pray through our trials and irritations that you would produce a long string of beautiful pearls in our marriages. I pray that maybe this might be a defining moment for some marriages. None, none of us want a marriage that's just surviving. We want our marriages to thrive. Only through your strength and power can we have that. Lord, help us not uh, to allow our marriages to go into autopilot, but to take time to keep them tuned up on a regular basis. If that's a weekend conference or a camp or a workshop, date night, or whatever it might be, Lord, help us to be bold and to take action. Your formula for change is inspiration plus application equals transformation. Help us to take your words of inspiration uh, that we heard today and help us to apply it to our lives and that you would transform our marriages. 
pray all this in the name that's above every other name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen.